Welcome to the Gut Doctor Podcast, where Dr. Neil Parikh describes GI disorders and answers common questions related to the GI tract. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back to GI 101, a series of episodes in our Gut Doctor Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming back Dr. Bashar Sharma. Bashar is a gastroenterology fellow at the University of Connecticut, and he will be continuing his conversation on obesity management from a GI perspective. This is in addition to the episodes we've recorded with our Food as Medicine series on different diets and obesity management with PA Stephanie Gort. Last time, Bashar and I discussed pharmaceutical options. Today, we will dive into endobariatrics, the new field of endoscopic therapeutics for weight loss management. Thank you for joining us again, Bashar. Thank you for having me again. So where does endobariatrics fit in the weight loss algorithm? Is it between drugs and bariatric surgery? Are there any specific BMI parameters or guidelines? Okay, so endobariatrics is currently approved for individuals with BMI more than 30 who have failed lifestyle modifications. Um, it, It offers a weight loss option for individuals who do not qualify for bariatric surgery due to either BMI, not being surgical candidates, or even if they have no desire to have surgery. Um, it's also less invasive with, with less risks of complications when it's compared to surgery. Okay. So, so it does kind of fit in between or for those patients who are not great surgical candidates or not yet surgical qualifiers. Uh, when I think of endoscopic procedures for weight loss, I always start with the intragastric balloon. Can you tell our readers more about the intragastric balloon devices? Sure. So um, the balloons, they're they're basically temporary, minimally invasive methods of losing weight. Um, They're balloons filled with saline or air, um, and they occupy a large portion of the stomach, so they restrict food intake, and they can also cause delay in gastric emptying. Um, Currently, there there are two FDA-approved ones uh, that are available in the U.S. market, the Orbera and the Obelon. Um, the Orbera is a balloon filled, uh, uh, is, is, is basically the balloon is filled with, with saline, about 400 to 700 cc's of saline. Uh, it's endoscopically placed and it's removed after six months. On the other hand, the Obelon is gas filled um, with a deflated balloon attached to a catheter, uh, which is swallowed. And after that, it's usually filled with about 250 mLs of nitrogen mixed gas um, once it's, it gets into the stomach. And uh, you can add up to three balloons um, in a, over a period of three months. So the first balloon can be placed, then month a month later, the second balloon can be placed. And a month after that, the third balloon can be placed. And all three balloons will need to be removed after six months from the, or the, the time when the first balloon was placed. So the total period is six months. Um, and they can, they can, in general, they can lead to about six to 12% total body weight loss. Oh, wow. Okay. So Orbera is endoscopically placed. Uh, Oblon is swallowed with a catheter. And I understand there are other ones that are endoscopically placed and also swallowed options that are not yet available in the market, but awaiting final studies. Is that correct? Yes. So we got the SPATS and the ELIPS. So the SPATS is FDA approved, but it's not available in the market uh, as far as now because it's still awaiting post-market approval study. Well, the ellipse is, uh, but the, on the other hand, the ellipse is not currently available in the in the U.S. Uh, the SPATS is saline-filled um, adjustable balloon. 
it, it, the difference here is that it can be placed for for a year compared to six months um, with the other with the other balloons. It's um, inserted and adjusted endoscopically. Um, um, while the on the other hand, the, the ellipse uh, does not require endoscopy. That's um, that's what's uh, unique about it. It is swallowed and then filled with about 500 mL of saline through a catheter. And uh, after about four months, um, a resorbable material inside the balloon itself will degrade, leading for the balloon release valve to open and to empty the balloon, which will lead for the balloon to be excreted from the body. So that's, that's what's special about it, the, the fact that it does not require any endoscopy. Yeah, that's fascinating because I know early on they're all endoscopic placements, but this becomes even on some level less invasive. So I know the data for these balloons, at least in terms of the metabolic syndrome, those metrics were very robust. Uh, can you tell us more about how, you know, or how, how impressive these are? Sure. Uh, multiple studies have shown that these balloons, they can lead to significant improvement in, in metabolic uh, syndrome metrics, um, and including lowering blood pressure, insulin resistance, diabetes, dyslipidemia, and even fatty liver. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of good data supporting their use. Yeah. So I, I remember when these first came out, this is, I want to say, ooh, uh, close to that. I want to say almost a decade ago. Um, it was very exciting. Um, you know, we were very optimistic to be a great bridge to bearish surgery, but of course, you know, any listener and definitely any gastroenterology provider knows there have been complications and FDA warnings. Uh, tell us more about the downsides. Yeah, I mean, most of the adverse events that come with these devices include uh, the device intolerance, since they're occupying space in the stomach. Um, so they can cause things like a sense of fullness, pain, nausea, vomiting. Um, serious adver- adverse events are rare, and they represent less than 1%. Um, and these can include uh, basically some of the things that have been uh, reported is risk of perforation, um, esophageal injury, gastric ulcers, or gastric obstruction. Uh, worldwide, uh, there has been a few cases of death after placement of these uh, devices due to either gastric perforation, esophageal per- perforation, and there's a couple of cases of pulmonary embolism after their placement. However, none of these serious adverse events have been reported in the U.S. market. All right. So I, I guess, are there any new space-occupying devices beyond gastric balloons? Uh, yeah. So uh, there's a couple of uh, uh, different kind of devices. One of them is the transpyloric shuttle, uh, which is uh, basically a large bulb uh, connected to a smaller bulb that uh, by a flexible silicon tether. Uh, the larger bulb remains in the stomach, while the smaller one um, either remains in the stomach or crosses into the uh, through the pylorus into the small intestine to cause intermittent, uh, uh, basically, uh, more like occlusion of the pylorus, and which can lead to delayed gastric emptying. Um, it, it's endoscopically placed, um, fluid-filled, and it's approved for use for up to 12 months. It can cause about 10% mean uh, weight loss and can lead to improvement in, in parameters of metabolic syndrome as well. Um, the other one is uh, the Gelesis 100 or Plenity. It's basically an orally administered capsulated device uh, containing hydrogel particles made from modified cellulose and citric acid that expands into um, a matrix inside the stomach after water absorption. And it travels down the GI tract until it gets degraded in the colon. Um, this leads to um, early satiety, delayed gastric emptying, and it can also lead to delayed glucose absorption. It is approved for a BMI of uh, 25 to 40 um, in association with dietary interventions. 
Um, it can lead to about four to ten percent weight loss when when taken twice daily before lunch and dinner. And there has there there have been no serious adverse events uh, uh, reported, but it should not be used in patients with any GI anatomical abnormalities such as rings, web strictures, people who had prior surgeries that can let led to any changes in their in their GI motility um, or GI transit time, or in people who are allergic to cellulose because of you know the, the where, where they made from. That's very interesting. This is the first I'm hearing about this uh, particular device. You know this hydrogen um compound almost now it's been approved you said but it's not readily available or which not using it or what's limiting it um it's um it's currently it's available it is approved by the fda and it's available to be used with lifestyle modifications however there's enough there isn't much data to support its use uh, so that's why it's uh, you know it's still the use is still limited it's not widely used currently i see Okay, so Bashar, as we start to wrap up this episode, you know, we, a lot of these you know, tight, exciting devices that you mentioned are non-endoscopic. Um, can you shed some light on the more involved endoscopic procedures out there? I know there's both endoscopic sleeve gastrectomy and then also primary obesity surgery and aluminal or pose, as they call it. Uh, sure. So uh, basically, both of these devices, uh, or let's say both of these procedures, they they involve using endoscopic tissue uh, position devices to either place sutures or plications in the stomach that uh, will reduce the size of the stomach and and possibly affect gastric motility as well. Um, endoscopic sleeve gastrectomy or ESG uses the Apollo overstitch device um, to place full thickness sutures along the greater the greater curvature uh, of the stomach. Well, the POSE uses the incisionless operating platform system that plays plications in the gastric body. Um, ESG can lead to about 15 to 20% total body weight loss, while the POSE can lead to, to about 10 to 20% total body weight loss. Oh, wow. Okay. So how does endoscopic sleeve gastrectomy compare to laparoscopic sleeve gastrectomy in study trials? Okay, so ESG uh, was associated with significantly lower total body weight loss uh, compared to the laparoscopic one, uh, about 17% versus 23% for the laparoscopic uh, sleep gastrectomy. However, it had lower adverse events, 5% compared to 17% with the surgical uh, alternative. And uh, it, uh, the new onset GERD after the procedure was also only 2% with the ESG versus um, 14% with the laparoscopic sleeve gastrectomy. Um, also, ESG is considered a reversal, reversible procedure compared to the laparoscopic one, uh, which is not as with surgery, you, 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 know, you resect part of the stomach compared to ESG, you just uh, suture uh, the stomach. I see. So, so there may be a role for both the, the endoscopic option in the near future fitness algorithm, even if it does not necessarily provide as much of a total body weight loss. Um, finally, let's end with one last endobariatric device. Um, that's the Aspire Assist. Um, tell us more about that. Sure. Um, so the, the Aspire Assist, it's an aspiration tube and, um, and a gravity valve that allows for drainage of gastric contents um, about 20 to 30 minutes after a meal consumption. Um, it's approved for a BMI of 35 to 55 and in patients who have failed to lose weight with non-surgical options. Uh, it can lead to about uh, 15 to 20% uh, total body weight loss at one year. 
Um, in addition to, to improving the metabolic syndrome parameters as well, such as diabetes, uh, elevated triglycerides, and high cholesterol as well. Bashar, this is, this is great. I mean, clearly a lot of new and exciting stuff coming out on the horizon here. Um, you know, we have endoscopic procedures, we have, you know, these hydrogen gels that are forming, and then we have, um, you know, sleeve gastrectomy through the endoscopy as well. So a lot, lot to come, a lot that's, you know, to my interest also already approved, just waiting more data and more acceptance. Um, thank you again very much for not only this episode on endobariatrics, but also uh, contributed to our prior episode on, on medication therapy for weight loss. Uh, I appreciate your time and effort. And for our listeners, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gut Doctor Podcast. For additional information about today's topic, please visit ConnecticutGI.org. Your feedback is important to us, so please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Stay tuned for more episodes of The Gut Doctor, and if you think you may need to see a gastroenterologist, just trust your gut.